Welcome to CEO On The Go, the show about personal and professional growth for busy leaders like you. I'm your host, Gail Lance, and together we'll be exploring the people side of leadership. You'll learn how to better engage and inspire those around you and yourself. So let's get started. It can be a real challenge to run effective meetings and events virtually. So I've got a great expert I'm bringing you today to help us sort through what works and what doesn't. Robbie Samuels is a keynote speaker, TEDx speaker, and relationship-based business strategy coach who's been recognized as a networking expert by Harvard Business Review, Ascend, Forbes, Inc. He's also an industry expert in the field of digital event design. Robbie is the host of his own podcast, On the Schmooze, which features his networking strategies and talented professionals sharing untold stories of leadership and networking. I had the opportunity to meet Robbie through a virtual event that he hosts weekly to explore new ways to design engaging virtual experiences. And I've been learning a lot trying to leverage the power of Zoom specifically. So I thought I would bring some of what he's sharing with me to you to help you stay ahead of the curve. So you can learn more about Robbie and his work at RobbieSamuels.com. For now, let's listen into my conversation with Robbie. Well, welcome, Robbie. I'm glad that you're here to uh, chat with me on my new podcast. Thanks for having me. As we've talked about, it's obvious why I wanted to talk about this topic about how to run effective virtual meetings now. It doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. But I, I know that we met through one of your special programs that you've offered to help people become more effective and how they're using Zoom and to build engagement virtually. So I think you're a great expert to share some insights and what you're seeing out there, a little bit about what you're teaching, what I'm still trying to learn, because I think it's so valuable. And a lot of people are still trying to figure out where to start. This is so foreign to have to try to create what we were used to creating, which I think is a mistake. Some people are just trying to replicate what they've done in person, but I'm sure that you could speak to that more. So why don't you, you share a little bit about what you're seeing and start us off? Absolutely. Well, I mean, as you just mentioned, you know, we're, we're in a new world. And I, even though one day I hope to hug a stranger, I don't think that day is coming anytime soon. And we're going to have even then the, a really strong desire for a, a virtual component for any kind of convening. But in the meantime, the virtual convenings need to sort of take the place of what we used to do in person. And there are some pluses and some sort of you know, maybe distractions or detractions from doing that online. But events, first and foremost, are always about content and connections. It was the reason we got on planes way back in the day when we used to get on planes, go to conferences and regional meetings. And we need to find a way to replicate that online. But as you said, it's actually not even so much replicate. I like to use the word reimagine. Reimagine using all the digital tools available and being really clear about the purpose of the gathering and then to just go from there. So that's the premise for how I have been approaching this. Um, I've heard a lot about Zoom fatigue from folks, but as you can attest, Gail, every Friday at 5 Eastern, I get on there and at 7 Eastern, people are still on there. And now I've, I've made an agreement that I'll, I'm going to be done by 7.30 so I can have dinner with my family. And at 7.25, there are people still on there. It's like, 
it's it's become this amazing community. Um, I've had other events for kickoffs for conferences with no no sort of end plans. Like four o'clock Eastern, we're all going to gather, and you know it's kind of a tech check. It's kind of to make sure everyone knows how to use Zoom and Slack. And then three and a half, four hours go by, and people are still there. So Zoom fatigue, I think, is a real thing. But if you have very uh, relevant content, hyper relevant content, and a very engaging presentation, then you don't have anything to fear. So I'm going to assume people, you know, listening to this conversation, know their audience, know what the needs are of the people who are there. They're attracting to their events, so they're going to have good quality content. So the next piece, the piece to really work on and to continuously work on, not be done with. Like this is a part where every time I get on Zoom, I'm always trying to get a little better. Whatever the platform is, that's about really having better presentation skills, knowing how to use and leverage the tech better. So yes, yes. Well, I want to get to to some of the the good examples that you can share and some of the new best practices. But I thought it would be helpful first to maybe point out some of the the errors that are occurring or the mishaps or blind spots that maybe executives may not be aware of. I know that in one of our sessions, we were just rattling off all of our, uh, the complaints that we have about how people are using it or not using it in the right way. So what do you see as some of the most common mistakes that, that especially senior executives, you know, those that are really trying to run the meeting, uh, what are they doing that might be a little problematic? I know, Gal, in some ways, this feels like Robbie's pet peeves because (laughs) none of them are so egregious on their own, but collectively, it's the reason, it's like, uh, it's like that little annoying buzz that we can't get out of our ear. It's slowly making us, this, this is the, it really contributes honestly to Zoom fatigue, this, this like cumulative little missteps. So one of them, a very common one for, for, for leaders of all kinds, when they're the ones with the microphone, when they say things like, um, I'm hearing some uh, background noise, could, um, if that's you, could you, um, yeah, I'm still, I'm still hearing some noise. Could you, could you meet yourself? And, you know, if they were made a co-host uh, and had the participant window open, instead they could just keep talking and reach over, hit the mute all button, hit okay, and keep going. But what probably will happen is a co-host, not them, or the host who's not them, will mute all and inevitably mute the person who has the microphone who's trying to speak. They won't notice it right away. Probably people listening have had this experience where like suddenly they're the ones muted also because they're trying to take care of the background noise of the meeting and they don't notice it. And then suddenly they're like talking, there's a silence for a few seconds or longer. And then like, oh, sorry, sorry, I didn't realize I was being muted. That's, ah, that could be so easily avoided. Just like become a co-host whenever you're speaking have the participant window open. It's right next to chat and make sure you open it and be familiar with the mute all button. If you're the one who hits mute all, then you're not going to get muted. But if someone else hits it, you will be. Yeah. And that's an example. Aside from some of the, the techie uh, pointers that, that you're so good at, at making, it seems like uh, they should also just set set the stage at the get-go. And a lot just depends on the kind of meeting, if it's a big event or if it's even just a, a small team meeting or leadership team meeting to set expectations. Um, one of the thoughts I had might be to even share, hey, here's some of the new things I've learned about Zoom and some of the things that we need or wherever, what, whatever platform that they're using to say, uh, here's how we all mute and here's how we're going to you know, try going forward in some new ways to test out some kind of new Well, there is a way in which um, having etiquette is really important and we have to sort of reinvent some etiquette. One of the things um, that you just brought to mind for me was the idea that we need to convey ahead of the meeting what our expectations are around cameras on, mics mm-hmm. on or mics mm-hmm. muted. 
Exactly. Now, if it's a small group of like six, then I think mics should be unmuted because it should be a collaborative space. But when you're getting 10 or more, I think it's really hard to have everyone unmute because, you know, people aren't, you could try for like 10 people, but you have to make sure people are really mindful of their own background at that point or that you're quick to mute someone if you realize there's an issue. But when you have like 20 more people, I think it's it's a different kind of event and you have to run it differently. But what are the expectations with cameras on? Because I think that some companies when they were doing virtual before the pandemic, they have no expectation the cameras would be on. You know, it was, it was almost like a different modality of a conference call. It was like a conference call, it happened to be over a virtual video platform. Now, if we don't have our cameras on, like we literally won't see our colleagues <laughs> for ages. So it's it's really important that we understand what is the purpose of the meeting? Is that is it necessary, you know, or beneficial for us to have our cameras on? Are we muted or not muted? Um, who's managing that experience? But also, just like everything else, having a good sense about whether you even should be having the meeting. Like, is <laughs> the purpose first framework here? Is, and as I learned this from conveners.org, it's like you. You're always questioned, do we need this meeting? And I think this is something that I think business leaders have have known for a long time, that there are often too many meetings and that's where we invented stand-up meetings and all these different things. So having a strong agenda, who's running the meeting, who's the no-ticker, I think all the best practices for in-person should be applied online. The one thing I will say that's different in person versus online is facilitation. And this is, this is actually a piece where it's a little bit about technique and a little bit about technology. The, the technique part is that in person, it's pretty clear who's going to go next when you're doing introductions or going around the room to go, do updates because you know who's next to you. It's like, I'm going to go and then you're going to go. But online, like, no one knows who's next. And I can see a lot of people who are facilitating that often say, okay, I'm going to go in the order of my screen and then randomly call it the first name on the top left of their screen. And that person has no idea they're about to be called on. And guess what? Now there's the second person or the third person or the fourth person. And this, this means people aren't necessarily paying full, absolute attention, even in person, that was true. Um, but they're also, they don't, they have to fumble for their, their unmute button. Um, they're not quite, what was the question again? What, what are we doing? So my recommendation is to always have somebody on deck. That's what I'm calling it. Like, this feels like a sports reference, I'm sure, but not usually the ones I use. But it's all like, Bob, in a moment, we're going to do you know updates and uh, you're going to go first. And then here's what I, how I'd like you to do that. And then after Bob, we're going to hear from Christine. And, after, you know, and then like Christine goes, and it's like, okay, now we're going to hear from Christine and then David. Okay, now David goes. And after David, we're going to hear from Ethan. Like you always know. And I use, like, you can have a piece of paper on your desk or you can, for me, I mute everyone and look at the participant list and just go in the order of that way. If you, by the way, if you mute everyone, they they show up alphabetically in participant list, which is not everyone knows that. But just even having a piece of paper that you're holding on to, and you're very clear, and you're always letting someone know who's next. Okay, after we hear from Gail, you know who we're, we're going to hear from Harry. So just kind of moving people along will lessen the confusion. I think another one that people often do is, okay, I just gave an update. Um, does anyone have any questions? Go ahead and unmute. That could be chaos in person. You wouldn't be like, okay, whoever wants to speak, go. You would always be like, all oh, right, does anyone have any thoughts? You know, you'd have people sort of raise their hand or like nod and you'd pick people. We've seemed to have forgotten that that's the basic etiquette of how we handle questions. Yeah. And it's interesting. The same point was reinforced on one of the most recent interviews that I did with uh, a, a specialist in leadership introversion. And she and I were talking about the importance of giving introverts a little more time to process 
So what you're recommending can also help engage introverts that might need a little more time or, or prep to know that they're, they're going to be called on. And so I really like that technique of queuing up the conversation that way. Yeah, I've seen some funny moments where, because I review, uh, my, I have a four-week certification program called the 5% Advantage Program, and my students send me in their practice videos, and then they send a certification video. Their practice videos, no one ever has any idea they're about to be called upon. You know, you can see the camera kind of goes to them, and they're like, what? Oh, uh, what are we doing? <laughs> you can totally see the mass confusion, and over and over and over again. But when they do the certification video, that's gone. That, that whole weirdness between who's next and who's next is smooth. It's so smooth. And it honestly, the audience could be the same. It's just how it's being facilitated. And that's something that I think is different online. And also like if people talk too long in person, you can lean towards them, look at them, but online, those body language, social cues don't work. So you have to come up with other ways to do it. I, I tend to repeat what someone is saying in an affirming kind of way and go, great, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Gail. No, no, really, I appreciate it. Thank you for your, your feedback. All right, so now we're going to hear from Bob. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you gently repeat. Gently and repeat. nudge in a different direction. Yeah, and if you don't do it, just like in person, if you... If you let, if you say everyone, okay, I want a 30 second update, but you let one person go for three minutes, everybody after that assumes they have three minutes. So if you don't nip it in the bud immediately, it, it goes off the rails. And so some of the stuff that's been not well done online isn't actually the fault of the technology at all. It's the same complaints that might've happened in person, but they're just sort of, I think, exasperated because people are like, oh, you know. I'm online all day. So I think I think it's a little harder, but good planning, agendas ahead of time, timekeeping, someone collecting action items separate from even the meeting notes that you can review at the end of the meeting. What are all the action items? Whose jobs are which, you know, like all those best practices, all those things work really well in this environment, but we have to consistently do them. We can't let it slip and like, ah, we're good. We know what's going on. And that's when it's like, this meeting took way longer than it needed to. Yes. Well, I really liked what I thought was a radical idea that I, I think you mentioned, which is you can't blame Zoom. Like you, you can't blame the technology. And, and that's the easy thing to try to do is to say, well, this, this is just so difficult. But it's really, like you said, learning how to, to manage it and to leverage it, create new and the, experiences. And, and there's so many positive things. Like I've talked to companies that previously would, you know, if a meeting was within four hours, they would drive. That was like their company policy wow, that's a lot of driving. Like, that's incredible. Like, they were like, yeah, we don't fly for meetings less than four, hour, four hours or less. Like, wow. And now, you know what I mean? Like, all that money, the travel, the time, the car, the just like time lost, gone. I barely 15 minutes between some of my meetings now. I'm packing so much in. So I think the, the downside might be that we do need some breaks. We do need time off and away and downtime. And I think we need to help our employees and our colleagues get that time as well. And so everyone has to come for themselves what that looks like. But again, it's not the fault of the technology. It's just how, how we use it or overuse it in some cases. But it's brought so many people together. And I think, you know, where you might have hesitated to gather people across a region or across the country because of the expense, oh, that could be planned, you know, with really short notice. Mm -hmm. And you can gather people together for a conversation. Yeah. I was curious to know, what is one of the largest events that you've been involved in? Some of the conferences. I'm, I attended the National Speakers Association convention online. So I think maybe a few thousand people <laughs> were 
we're there. I'm not quite yeah. sure, but what are you seeing in terms of a size that's that's manageable that is really done well, or is there a certain limit where it just is? Too so there's much? not really a limit. It all has to do with the platform and the purpose of the gathering. So I personally bring often events that are between, I would say, generally like three and five hundred are are ones I use. Over five hundred doesn't really work well on Zoom meetings, and that's what the platform that I tend to specialize in. Um, I've done a few where we re- had larger numbers than that. We did Zoom webinar. It's a different experience because you, participants can't see each other. You can't do breakout rooms. Um, but we did one where we were using Zoom meetings, but we had just under, I think we're about 800 people. But then we used Slack as another sort of means for communication during the event and to do some conversations on Slack in breakouts as opposed to actually using Zoom for breakouts. So that was interesting. I'm not sure if it worked as well as we would like because it's a little clunky to get people to switch from one platform to another in the middle of an event. Um, but then there's some great platforms that were sort of starting to, to spring up and now have all sprung to the front of the line. And if you have the right platform, you know, I, I know that um, some major speakers have had thousands and thousands of people brought together, but you have to get very creative um, with how you're doing this. And you know, I think what's hard is that we have to make sure we're always meeting the networking and connecting re- requirement of this. And that, you know, if it's just like the way we think of a webinar, like the, the, the old way of a webinar was, you know, 45 minutes of death by PowerPoint followed by ineffectual Q&A, no one moderating chat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, true. yes, it was never great. And it's now in this particular climate, like really a bad idea. So every company needs to strive to get better every time because their best effort in May is not going to be what they need to do in September. And their best effort in September is not going to work in January. So we're going to have to keep pushing that because people are going to attend other people's events, see some other experience or have some other experience or or some possibility that they're going to like, well, then I want to make sure that, you know, this is for me too, whether it's their navigation, whether it's their ability to connect with other participants or talk to speakers or, get the notes or whatever it is. And I think back in the day, you know, if we put a camera in the back of the room pointed at the main stage, we called that the online ticket. <laughs> you know, like if you paid extra, maybe paid $99 to, to watch it from home, that's never going to be hybrid ever again. Like hybrid will be two events happening simultaneously with two different MCs, somehow bringing the two audiences together at certain points and not and so I think the more everyone can play with this now, they'll be ready for hybrid because hybrid's not going to be easy. Hybrid is literally two events happening at the same time. So if you can keep pushing your comfort level and your technique and your what you excel at in this online space, whatever the platform it is you use, you'll be ready. I think you'll be more ready than others in your area, in your industry. Some people are really like head in the sand, like, oh, we're just going to wait. We're just going to wait. I think... The way we learn, I'm in the middle of reading the talent code. And it's like the way we get better is by practicing and then fixing our mistakes, practicing and fixing our mistakes, practicing. Without that, if we don't have that repetition right now, while people are still, I'd say, fairly lenient, although less than they were maybe in May, it's going to be a real misstep in the future. And yeah. Well, I'd like to think that the people who are listening into this kind of podcast, they, they are the learners. They want to try something mm-hmm. different, take a risk. At least that's kind of the theme on a lot of the episodes that I've been recording. 
Um, so another common question that might come up, I'm guessing, from people who are listening might be related to doing retreats, off-site retreats, not the big, big kind of conference types of events, but how is the best way now to structure online retreats or ways to to get the executive team together or the leadership team, maybe 10 to 12 people? I know that I used to to lead a lot of those for organizations, still do, but and finding new ways to do that creatively online. So what are your thoughts on leading some kind of retreat? Yeah, I think it's so easy. I mean, again, with some practice and so and, and quite a bit of planning, there's so many wonderful third-party apps like Mentimeter where, you know, you can have people in a room, but they can each submit their own answer to a question and you can gather instantly sort of at the pulse of the room. You could do word clouds. You can have everyone do an exercise and then put their answers on a virtual post-it note and everyone can see the response. You can have people work in groups in their breakout rooms, but all submit their answers to the same Mentimeter um, so that we're all seeing their results as they are doing it and then come back and do a debrief. I think the mixture, if you have like 10 or 12 people, like you wouldn't have to necessarily have everyone muted as long as like their background noise was being managed well. So people could, my, my suggestion is that they hold a pen up when it's their turn to speak. I teach people to lean forward with their pen in the air. Into the camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, it, like insert towards the camera. And so that way the facilitator has some indication like, oh, okay, I see so-and-so and then so-and-so like want to speak. And that way it doesn't feel like, you know, they don't physically raise their hand. It feels a little silly when you only have a handful of people, but you do want some sort of indication. Oh, whose turn is it next? And you want other people to know whose turn it is. So a little bit of understanding about how to moderate that space, um, thinking about really interactive. I love analog in a digital world. I really think we should be thinking more about exercises where people, you know, okay, have a reflective moment. Here's the prompt, get a paper and pen, answer this question on your own. And then I'm going to put you in small groups, discuss your answer. And then you're going to come back and one of you will share what, what your biggest takeaway was. Like, so it's not just talking the whole time. Right. And just like, well, it wouldn't be, I mean, you facilitated a retreat, right? It wouldn't be like, it's not teaching. Retreats are about group activity, self-reflection. Um, the other thing that I think people could do more of for any kind of virtual event is send people physical items in the mail. Because this it changes it from being like a webinar to an experience. And so for a retreat, you know, like how you might have pipe cleaners on the desk, give people things to play with in front of them. Or um, have you ever done that? It's so much fun. <laughs> no, I, that, that's a great idea. I'm already thinking, hmm, what, 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 what could some of those items be? Yeah. At least so they all have the same item. Or, they'll have the same kinds yeah. of items. Because I think part of what happens, like people have a hard time being that focused for that long a time, which is true at a virtual retreat online or in person at a retreat. Like it's a lot of intention. So giving them something to do with their fingers, so they're not fiddling with their phone, which is what people will default to doing. And but then I've done retreats in person where we then said, oh, we should um, we should all show off our creations after we've done all this. So people worked on whatever they were doing with their pipe cleaners or whatever the other objects were. So I but you could have people hang a sign on their door that says, don't disturb, I'm learning. Um, I've had uh, people were shipped tea, a candle, uh, a journal this fancy pen that I love so much. (laughs) Um, Like really get creative. And it's a wonderful sponsor opportunity, actually, because, you know, at at an event, if a physical event, um, all those little 
freebie tchotchkes that you get, you know, only some of them actually go in your luggage and go home with you because you kind of get back to your hotel room and you're like, actually, I don't really need all this. Whereas if it gets shipped to your house, it's at your house. And so it sticks around for a lot longer and it's more likely to stay on people's desks and have that brand awareness. So I think it's a really good selling point for anybody who would want to underwrite some aspect of, a, of an online event is to have them be the sponsor of the, the welcome care package, what do you want to call it? And it's sort of a missed opportunity to not, to not do that. Even, even if a handful of small items could really make it a little fun and people then anticipate it coming. It's like, oh my gosh, I got the package of the mail. Or it could be a book. You know, if people are reading physical books these days, yes. um, I've seen that happen. Yeah, those are great ideas. Well, I like to keep our sessions relatively short. Is there any other insight or tips as we're kind of signing off something that you think would be most important for people to keep in mind as they're trying their best to make the most of the virtual world and leverage the technology that they have to, to run effective meetings? Well, here's, here's a, I'll, I'm going to give you an analogy. If, if I gave you uh, an award-winning French cookbook, and I said, just follow the details here, and you'll make the most amazing French cuisine. And you get so excited, and you go and you buy all kinds of fancy pots and pans, because you're like, I'm going to make an exciting French cuisine. And you finally open the book, and you're like, I don't have any of these ingredients. Uh, I bought all these sharp knives, but I don't know that I'm comfortable using these sharp knives, and I don't usually measure things correctly. So now you've got all this great <laughs> hardware, right? That's a lot of us are doing that online. We're all buying fancy cameras and better microphones, better lighting, but we haven't figured out the technique and we don't have the ingredients. So the ingredients here are the settings. So please, whatever platform you're using, make sure that if you reach to do something that it's enabled. So Zoom meetings has breakout rooms, but you have to turn them on and a whiteboard and polls have to be planned in advance. So make sure all the things that you would want are there whether it's your event or you're inviting a speaker in, make sure they have what they need, just like you would in person. You'd make sure they have the projector. If they wanted to do slides, you wouldn't be like, oh, I didn't even bother to ask that question. And then the technique is the online facilitation, getting better at that. And then the other piece would be understanding how to leverage the, the actual technology, you know, like um, meeting everybody, using the breakout rooms more effectively, asking the right kinds of questions for breakout rooms. I mean, there's a lot more to unpack there, but making sure the settings are there, that you really work on your online facilitation and that you really understand more and more of the technology. Now you can really create a wonderful meal. And in fact, you could start to mix and match ingredients and eventually you don't even look at the cookbook anymore. It just becomes a family recipe that you just kind of make from memory. So I think that's where we want to go. We want to get to the point where we're getting to event design. Like virtual event design to me is super exciting, but you can't play with the design elements until you have all the elements there to begin with. So that would be my parting words. Good. Like, let's get to the exciting part, but we've got to do the, the mundane, enabling all the right settings and getting better at our sort of online facilitation technique and all that. And then we can have fun and get really creative with how do we design these different experiences that we're hoping for online. Yes, great, great analogy and final thought for us. It, and it reminded me too of the importance of finding safe places to practice, especially, you know, at senior executive level, you want to make sure that you're doing things the best way you can. And I really like the program that you've created, no more bad Zoom com right? Is that the best place for people to find that if they want to learn a little bit at a time and practice their skills in a safe place? We're all learning together. That's what I appreciate about it. 
no judgment and, you know, it's just getting a little better every, every week. So I encourage anyone who's listening in to check out nomorebadzoom.com if you're interested or just to practice in your own way within your organization, doing some practice sessions. Don't be afraid to take a risk and try something new, test it out. It's like anything else that you're learning. It just takes a little time and um, getting over yourself. <laughs> so, good. Well, Ravi, thank you so much for sharing what you can. I know it will be helpful for people who really care about this issue. More people should care. So I hope that the word will spread and appreciate all you're doing to help me and, and others who are learning. Fantastic. Thanks for having me on. All right. Um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Stay tuned for other episodes that I have coming. I hope you have a great rest of the day doing the work that matters to you. Until next time, take care. Thanks for tuning in. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and visit workmatters.com. And if you have a question or a suggestion for a future topic for the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. So keep growing as a leader and doing the work that matters to you. Until next time.